Welcome to the OMR Podcast International. My name is Scott Peterson, and I'm an editor at OMR. Today, we are talking with Ben Francis, CEO of Gymshark, a billion-dollar fitness fashion D2C brand from the UK. In many ways, it's the classic rags-to-riches story. Starting off in his parents' garage, Francis parlayed some fortune and a lot of hard work and determination into what Gymshark is today. Growing up outside of Birmingham, England, Francis comes from a family of entrepreneurs and as such began making websites and apps as side hustles while still a teen. And in fact, Gymshark was his seventh website, which shows that even massively successful people tend to fail more than they succeed. Now, to get Gymshark up and running, Francis had his mom and grandma teach him how to sew and then proceeded to sew Gymshark's clothes by hand for the first two years, along with his team, of course. Then, after a successful appearance at a fitness expo, which saw revenue skyrocket from 300 pounds a day to an incredible 30,000 in 30 minutes, he put down the needle and thread for good. In this episode, Francis talks with OMR CEO Philip Westermeyer about the strategic nuts and bolts Gymshark used to reach critical mass and then expand into the unicorn D2C brand that today employs 700 people around the world. From accidentally creating what is now the go-to way to build an online business with community building on social, offline events with fitness influencers, and product scarcity, to clever use of product names to leverage Google keywords and the power and promise of restraint in its social media content strategy, Philip and Francis go deep on the smallest details without losing sight of the big picture and where Francis and Gymshark are headed from here. All of that and more right now in the OMR podcast. Hi, Ben. Hi, lovely to meet you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Tell us a few uh, things about your background. I mean, obviously, Gymshark is a huge um, fashion brand and mm -hmm. the name provides some insight where it's coming from. But I think that the, the, the background, the backstory is, is, is a little surprising. Yeah, so where, should, where do you want me to start? Shall I go right to the beginning? Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. I, um, so I grew up in the West Midlands of the UK. Um, My parents were very, very hardworking. My mum works in the NHS, which is our national health service here. My grandparents both ran their own business. Um, and as a young kid, we do work experience here. I think it's about 13, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that with my granddad. And what we would do is we would drive around and we'd line furnaces. So for those that you aren't aware, imagine a huge oven that heats, heats big metal objects up. And we would line, <laughs> line them with brick and uh, ceramic fiber, basically. And when I was working with him, he would tell me all these stories about how he started his business, the risks that he had to take. So I was sort of exposed to entrepreneurship and business at a very young age. And um, the risks that he took were massive. They were absolutely huge. He risked sort of their their house, their livelihood that my mom and her sister and my nan grew up in. Um, so interestingly enough, when it came to sort of 16, 17, 18 years old for me, I, I didn't really, I wasn't as fussed about risk because I realized that he took so much more bigger risks than me. So I mm -hmm. just, I just started making things. I made websites, I made iPhone apps and, um, the, the seventh website that I make, and I make a point of talking about it being the seventh website, because I feel like everyone <laughs> seems to assume that it's like one thing tries and it, you try one thing and it blows up, mm -hmm. which isn't the case. Uh, the seventh website that I created was Gymshark, and it's um, the the website was built um, purely because I loved fitness. I absolutely adored fitness, and I loved watching fitness YouTubers. I watched um, 
Jeff Side over in the States, Matt Ogus and Chris Lovado in the US. There was a guy called Lex Griffin here in the UK. And there was one of my heroes actually was a German guy called Alon Gabay. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, and he was one of the original fitness guys and basically spent the first two years of the brand hand making the clothes. Um, and it's blown up into, to your point, a 1.4 plus billion dollar brand that it is today. <laughs> <laughs> okay when did it all start i mean uh, when when was the first uh, videos you watched 2000 uh, so 2012 so i obviously followed these guys before that um mm -hmm. but it was 2012 when the brand was actually started the the other thing as well that i forgot to mention is i am um, when i started the brand uh, like i said my thing i actually set the bar incredibly low um i mm -hmm. said all i want to do is start a brand so i can be involved in fitness there, there wasn't this sort of like huge i guess ambition that we now have um And what I did is I couldn't afford stock to put on the website. At, at the time, my job was a pizza delivery driver at Pizza Hut. So I was earning about four or five pounds an hour. So I couldn't afford stock. So I loaded the website up with hundreds. It might even have been thousands of supplements um, and drop shipped them from other retailers just so that we could get the website transacting and get essentially money flowing through the website. Um, mm -hmm. I, I say that, but it took months to get the first sale. And then after that, it was then buying a screen printer, buying a sewing machine, and then spending the next two years handmaking the product. And, and where did you get the first traffic from? Oh, so loads of different places. It was a very, very typical entrepreneurial way to start the business. So Facebook was the the the, the main social platform of the day, which is which is mm -hmm. weird now because listen, Facebook's still massive, but you've got Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and all these different mm -hmm. things. Facebook and YouTube as well. Um, This is a little bit of detail, but in, uh, back in the day, you didn't have to pay for Google Shopping. So what you could do is you could you could basically have loads of different products and you could have different keywords in. So I think at the time, uh, you might have seen over in the States, there was Jersey Shore, which was blowing up. So I'd call a product Jersey Shore Shorts, and then you'd have Gymshark Shorts. And one product would have like seven or eight different names. But because Google Shopping wasn't paid, it would rank all these different keywords. So people would search Jersey Shore and Gymshark Shorts would, would pop up essentially in, in, in Google. So there was a lot of sort of different, I don't know what you call it, hacks almost to get to get traffic to the website as well as social media. So that's what we would call a social um, um, search engine optimization, basically, right? I yes, mean, exactly that. And I didn't know that was what it was at the end of the day. Yeah, I had no mm -hmm. idea. But yeah, exactly that. And we were just sort of working it out on the fly. How, how old were you at the time? Um, so I was about 18 or 19 years old. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and you, were you like a fitness YouTuber yourself or did you try to become one yourself? No, no. So I, I fell in love with the gym at 16 years old. And the reason I fell in love with the gym is because, bef so when I was 14, 15, I wasn't particularly good at school and I wasn't, I wasn't misbehaving. I wasn't naughty or anything. I... I just, it just never really aligned with me and I didn't, I couldn't do well at it. So I was getting sort of D's and E's um, in my exams. Now at 16 years old, I joined the gym and at the gym, I was taught by people there that you turn up five days a week, you do the workout, you essentially do as you're told, whether you're feeling good, bad or indifferent. Um, and I learned structure, I learned routine and I learned how to force myself to do things that I didn't want to do. And I started to get results in the gym. So I then applied that to my school life And all of a sudden, my grades went from D's and E's to A's and B's. So the gym at 16, 17 years old completely changed my life. And I just completely fell in love with it from that, that point on. And, and how about making those clothes? I mean, you don't, you're not a, like a fashion designer in that sense. You, you like 
the gym and uh, I mean you, but you handcrafted your first clothes yourself yeah exactly that so I was really lucky so my mom knows how to sew so she taught me how to sew my nan was also doing a curtain making course at the time so she also did a bit of uh, sewing teaching um, there was some local people that did screen printing so I just sort of learned on the job YouTube videos as well obviously helped um, yeah I, I just really wanted to make clothes that that fitted us because no one made bodybuilding clothes that were fitted they were all massive for either huge bodybuilders Or there was more larger sportswear brands that would make football or basketball clothes. And it just didn't fit the gym physique that I was I was uh, creating for myself. Mm -hmm. And the name Gymshark, also like your own invention? Yeah, yeah. And this is such a boring story. I, people ask about how the name came about. And I always say, I, I wish I could tell you a story about how I was swimming off the coast somewhere and I saw a shark. <laughs> and it, it, it's just nothing like that. I am... Um, I saw an American football mascot and it was like a, a big muscular um, cat. It was like a cheetah, I think, or a tiger. And I, I just looked at it and I thought, oh, wow, imagine if that was a shark. And then I went on GoDaddy and I put in Gymshark. Gymshark.co.uk was available. It was about £3.50. Um, <laughs> and I, I just bought it because it was short. It had a ring to it. It sounded cool. And, and like I said, at the time, because it was the seventh website that I'd made and all the others had failed, I think a part of me just thought, you know, I'm just going to give it a go. I don't really know how it's going to go. So it didn't feel like a big decision at the time. Whereas now, obviously, looking back, it was a, it was a huge decision. Can you, the first six websites, were they all like similar um, intention? Or can you oh, yeah. like drop one, two examples? Cool, cool. So the first one that I made was a car, uh, it sold car <laughs> registrations and license plates. Um, mm -hmm. I did another one that was like a fitness forum. So almost like a bodybuilding.com forum. Uh, mm -hmm. a mini sort of fitness social network. I made two iPhone apps that were both around fitness. One was about how to lose weight. One was um, a general, basically, workout planner. You could plan workouts and hit a button and it would populate your calendar with a workout. Um, there was a few other bits like that. So, yeah, um, it, was, it was, for the most part, they were fitness related. Um, and it was a combination of I just loved fitness, but I also loved making things. And I loved learning to build websites. I lear loved learning to build apps. Uh, and Gymshark was just the one that did well. And 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 you know how did, or when did Gymshark really, you know, start you know developing its traction? I mean, when did you realize this thing is is more than the first sticks? So we we handmade the clothes for two years, and towards sort of about a year and a half, two years in, we so as kids in in Birmingham where we we grew up, there's an incredible expo called Body Power, and at the time it was one of the best fitness expos in the world. Um, it was up there. I think the best two events were probably Body Power in Birmingham and FIBO in Cologne. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. ever visited FIBO yeah, in Cologne. Yeah, yeah, um, And we would go there every single year. And one year I just thought, I, I've got had this gut-wrenching feeling that we had to be there. So I, um, I went up to the show organizing stand that was over in the corner. And I said, right, I've got this small brand. I've just started it. And I really want to, to, to exhibit here. I want our brand to be here. Um, And then the guy said to me, yep, that's fine. It's going to be £3,000. And that was like more than all the money that we had at the time. And I just thought, mm -hmm. you know what? I'm going to do it. I've got 12 months to pay for it. I'm going to work out a way of making this work. So we we, we signed on to it. We did it. And over the year, we handmade clothes and we worked incredibly hard and we started to get regular sales. Come round to the event the next year, we'd earn enough money to not only pay for the floor space, but we'd booked a, 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 an incredible stand. And we'd also had a little bit of extra money. Now, we used that money to ask the, the YouTubers that we, we admired and adored to come to the event. So we flew over 
a couple of guys from the States. Uh, Lex came down from the north of the UK and Alon came over from Germany. And these guys just came to the event just because, again, they'd, they'd never been there before. And everyone knew that the Body Power was the best um, was the best event around. Um, we, we did this event and, I mean, to, sort of to cut a long story short, we were doing about £300 a day in revenue before the event. Um, the event went so incredibly well that afterwards, when I turned the website back on, we did £30,000 of revenue in the first 30 minutes of the website being live. Um, we completely sold out of everything. And, and that was the moment where I realized that we were onto something truly special. And how come you had the website shut down during the Be event? Because this is this is just shows the size of the business. Because we weren't at home to make the product, we had to turn the website off because people would be <laughs> okay. ordering because we couldn't okay. make the product. It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, I mean, so in the end, the 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 the, the ignition or the the starting point of of, of Gymshark is a live event. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a show. And and uh, do you know what? So the, looking back at the time, I had no idea what was going on. Now, looking back, what we'd done is we'd accidentally created the marketing mix that we very much use today, right? So we had product that was launching at the event, which wasn't actually available online because the website was off. So we'd sort of accidentally created scarcity. We did the in real life event, so the core lifters were there. And then after mm -hmm. the event, by the way, me, the staff, the athletes, and the, 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 the fans, we'd all go and lift. And we'd lift in the gym together as a group, and we were building a community And people would post on Facebook and so on about the lifting with the Gymshark guys. And all of a sudden, Gymshark was blowing up that weekend and going viral over social media. So all of that, you had scarcity, you had the influencers, you had the offline event, you had the community being built on social media. We'd accidentally created what is now, to many online um, companies, the, the go-to way of marketing a business. Um, and yeah, we'd, we'd sort of struck gold. And... and I mean, in the in the following days and months and years, did you basically only expand the strategy or which most important elements did you add? Yeah, yeah, we did. So we, and I'll never forget it. So we um, we finished that event at Body Power and we thought, right, that event was so incredibly successful. Now what? And then anyone that knows anything about fitness and bodybuilding knows you go to FIBO in Cologne. FIBO mm -hmm. in Cologne is the biggest fitno, uh, fitness event in the world. I think... I don't know what the numbers are like now, obviously, because of COVID and everything. But at the time, there must have been about a quarter of a million people that would go to this event. It was something like that, mm -hmm. 200, 250,000 people from all across Europe. So I was calling up the guys over in Cologne. And I was like, right, so Body Power, I need another stand next year. FIBO Cologne, what do I have to do to get in the door sort of thing? Um, so we did the FIBO event in Cologne. And again, same thing. We brought all the athletes about Cologne went incredibly well. Then after that, we booked Body Power again, FIBO again. We booked into Columbus, Ohio, Los Angeles, uh, Melbourne, and Australia, and we just we just expanded and expanded and expanded. And we actually spent the next the next year just traveling the world. And and it was always event based. I mean, you basically um, backpacked, or how you call that? You piggybacked on um, on 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 your existing events. You didn't even create yeah. your own events. It was piggybacking no. on others. Exactly that. And then what we were doing is, so we were in Cologne and again, we would finish up and we would go and lift with everyone and we were creating these communities across the world. And even now you see hotspots, you see the UK as a hotspot, you see Cologne in Germany and Dusseldorf um, just over the road as a hotspot. You see California as a hotspot, you see Columbus, uh, Melbourne, Australia. So all these hotspots of Gymshark community, core, core community, funnily enough, aware all these original events were that we did. 
And when did you stop making those clothes yourself? I mean, when did you ask other people to, to make those clothes for you? So, so it was after the success of the first event. And that's when, and we'd done bits before. We'd worked with different factories and people had done huge favors to me around the world. Um, but the, the time where we officially stopped making our own clothes was just after that first event. And that really helped because then we could travel the world and have things produced. Uh, my brother would stay at home. Um, with a couple of the other guys and, and ship out the orders whilst we were essentially just doing, I guess, a marketing world tour. And then where's, uh, where are Gymshark clothes made today? So they're made all over the world now. So we make a lot in Europe. We make a lot in uh, places like Portugal, Turkey. Then uh, the vast majority of our cotton, for example, comes from the United States. We do a lot in places like Taiwan, Bangladesh. So now because of our scale, we're very, very distributed in our production. Um, and then in terms of the distribution that comes into uh, centers around the world, we've got um, DCs in um, Belgium, we've got DCs in the UK, in Canada, in Australia, and we're also opening up two new distribution centers in the United States soon as well. And are you, uh, to that day, are you the, like, obviously the founder, also the, the CMO basically, and also the, the, the head designer, the, the, the creative uh, chief? Yeah, so, so I was, I'm not anymore. So we've got an incredible leadership team now. So I, I'm, listen, I'm still full time in the business every single day. And I've done a bunch of different roles. So I've done a chief marketing role. I've done a chief product role, uh, chief brand role. Um, I work very closely with our data team as well. So I, I, I essentially have focused the last sort of, you know, eight years on, for, for the most part, the front end of the business. And when did Instagram kick in? I mean, I, I, f from today, it, it looks like Instagram must be a huge lift for you. Yeah, in, Instagram's great. Uh, we were, again, an earlier adopter on, onto Instagram. We saw Instagram very early on as being a, a great platform moving forward. Uh, Instagram is brilliant. Um, we do a lot on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, TikTok is huge for us. It's a brilliant, brilliant platform. They're great to work with as well. So we definitely do a lot there as well. Which platform would hurt the most if it was taken away <clears throat> from you? Oh, I've never been asked that question before. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. I would. I don't know. Listen, I think Instagram is great. So I think probably if it was today, it would be Instagram. But I, when I look forward, I think TikTok is a is is the opportunity. And and how do you present yourself on, on, on Gymshark? I mean, obviously now you have different accounts, Gymshark uh, woman, uh, yeah. different different sub accounts. But like, is, is what's the what's the recipe today to to like uh, create large audiences? So, the one thing I would say is I think you have to be really aware of who the the people that are following you are. Um, I, I know I've heard people talk about almost just post every day, and I think for for some people, I think that can work incredibly well. Um, personally, I think you really need to, I think one brilliant post is worth significantly more than a hundred average posts. Mm -hmm. Um, and just because of the nature of the algorithm, the way that things can go viral, I think you have to just think about quality of content and everything that you do. Um, if you go on Gymshark train, for example, on Instagram or Gymshark, um, women on Instagram or Gymshark on TikTok, you'll see that we're, we're, even though the core Gymshark, um, ethos is the same. We, you know, we approach the social platforms and even accounts in very different ways because there are different people following uh, following us for different reasons. How many people do you have working in marketing in general? Oh, in marketing, I don't know off the top of my head. If you if you sort of 
if I had to answer, so what we do is we actually split between brand and marketing. So if you're talking about the whole front end marketing focus, you're probably looking at about 250 people. Wow. And, and, and all together in the company? Uh, 700. Okay. Okay. And, and so 250 in marketing. And that means you have like a dedicated team for TikTok and for a dedicated team for Snap and for Instagram? Correct. Exactly that. And and listen, we do a lot in-house. So we have one of the best in-house creative teams I've ever seen. We have incredible in-house videographers, incredible in-house photographers, creatives, project managers, um, social managers, uh, advertisement managers. Yeah. So it's a it's a very big team. Uh, the, a lot of the reason why it's so big is because so much of what we do is in-house. Okay, okay. And um, But I mean, how much of your success would you attribute to marketing and the whole social media game and the direct-to-consumer relationship and how much to the product? 50-50. Um, so I think, I think if I look back, we have and had a, an incredibly unique product. Our quality is incredibly, incredibly high. And we were speaking to a consumer group that just wasn't being spoken to by some of the larger brands. So we had incredible product. Like it's all well and good having brilliant marketing, but if the product doesn't stand up, then people won't come back. And we have great retention. So people will buy Gymshark and they'll buy it again and again and again because they're so happy with the product. So I do think it is 50-50. Um, and we've innovated in both areas. So yeah, we have an incredibly unique, or we had an incredibly unique approach to market. And it's, it's, it's becoming more common now. I think people are seeing the value in a direct-to-consumer community brand. Um, no, sorry, go on. What's your um, best-selling item? And which, which, which piece did you sell the most over the, all these years? So this is, again, this is going to be a boring answer for you. What you find is we, we make some beautiful, incredible, colorful, incredibly well-designed products but when it comes to the end of the year your, your best sellers will always be a men's black t-shirt and a women's pair of black leggings <laughs> okay, honestly and, it's always the way and in, but obviously the logo matters i mean if you if you if you yes. call it a black t-shirt then you would get that black t-shirt you know, more or less at least style wise everywhere um but you wouldn't get it with the logo exactly so, so the logo makes all the difference. The brand makes all the difference then. Yeah, well, it's definitely the logo and the brand, but equally the fit, the material, the way that it's made, communicated. The, the thing with Gymshark is it's almost like, it's like being a part of a club. It's, it's a group of people that are working towards physical and mental improvement. And the gym, and I found this when I was 16 years old and walking into the gym for the first time, the gym can be quite a intimidating place to go, especially if you've never lifted weights before. So particularly for me, I'm into weightlifting and Gymshark produces running gear, lifting gear, cardio gear, CrossFit, everything now. But it is intimidating to go into the gym for the first time because it feels like you don't know what you're doing. And there's, there's this thing when you buy into Gymshark, it's like you are part of the community. And I think that definitely helps people when they are sort of starting out on their fitness journey. Mm -hmm. Who would you who would you uh, call your biggest competitor? I mean, is, are you competing against Adidas, Nike? Who do you look to when you when you um, look at your market? So, and I, and I understand why you asked that question because I guess from a consumer point of view, it's you'd look at a sportswear brand and you think that they're very similar, and and in many respects they are. But I d one thing I would say is there's a big differentiation between a gymwear brand and a sportswear brand. So Adidas, for example, are as far as I'm aware the best when it comes to football, right? They just, they're incredible in terms of their product, their their boots, their clothes. They're, they're brilliant at what they do. Now, Gymshark isn't built to make sportswear and, and, and football wear. It's about fitness wear and gym wear. If you want to go on a 5K run, if you want to 
you know, lift weights, if you want to be a bodybuilder, if you just want to go to the gym every other week because it helps with your mental and physical fitness, I think Gymshark's the best in the world when it comes to that. Um, and what the other thing I would say from more of a commercial perspective is uh, an Adidas, for example, is built in a very, very different way to Gymshark. Gymshark is a community-led, direct-to-consumer, purpose-led brand. Um, we only sell through our website. And when you buy into Gymshark again, you're really a part of that community. Adidas, on the other hand, they work in a completely different way where they work through many retailers all the way around the world. They produce products that works in golf, in football. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a much wider or a broader proposition. Um, and they just fundamentally work in a complete, completely different way to us. So it, it, it's really difficult. I don't know who our competitors are at the moment. I think we're in a bit of a unique space that we've sort of inadvertently created. Um, but yeah. I mean, you, you must have been approached quite a bit by by retailers asking you to to sell their your clothes directly to them as well. I mean, not not to the end consumer, but also to like major yeah. stores or, or chains or all that. Exactly that we were, and we 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 did something a few years ago, which I'm really proud of, and I would advise any any entrepreneurs listening to really think carefully about this. Is we we drew out how we saw the future of brands, communities, and retail. And one of the things that we thought wouldn't happen is we saw, we, we didn't see the future of brands as being a brand that was built in the old model. So that the old high street model, when, when you know many of our parents and grandparents would purchase their product from the high street, what, what a lot of the, the greatest brands in the world would do is they would create as much product as they can to put into as many stores as they can to please as many people as they can. And that was an incredible method of growth back during the high street era. But what that led to is slow, cumbersome brands that produce a huge, broad range of products and don't truly understand their consumer because you'll always have the layer of the retailer between, right? So uh, a large brand might sell products into a retail store, and at the end of the month, they'll know that that retail store sold 10,000 black T-shirts, but they don't know who to, they don't know why they were buying it, and, and there's no connection there. So we thought that the future of brands was a community-focused, direct-to-consumer model. So yes, we have had lots of retailers offer some really big numbers to stock our product, and we could have grown the business significantly more quickly than what we have. But because we don't see it as the future of the way that brands work, um, we essentially said no to those to those requests. Never, never, uh, all these years. No, we 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 don't we don't work with retailers. We did a. A very a small couple of deals in the first sort of 12 months of being a business but since then it's every single sale goes through the gymshark website okay and 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 any other outlets i mean you sell directly on instagram or any 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 like on other online way to sell except for your website uh no we're launching an app soon but everything is through gymshark own channels no third parties essentially okay oh, and then did you ever think about like spilling over into other um, areas. I mean, you just call it the the, the gym wear and, and and weightlifting wear. But um, I mean, I, the stuff you. I mean, look at your Instagram account and the stuff you wear looks a little bit like you could also wear to the office today. And in digital companies, you can. That's the way you people come into the office. Yeah, and um, I wear it every day to the office. Exactly. Yeah, it's more uh, like that athleisure trend, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That was what I was looking for. Athleisure or athleisure. Yeah. So so it's it's basically become like everyday clothing right for, for for office jobs as well that's that's something that you would accept for your for your products to 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 be worn to the office you 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 wouldn't complain about that correct yeah, yeah. so we we design our product with the purpose in mind so we'll design 
you know, men's shorts, understanding that, that you need to be able to squat in them, you need to be able to deadlift in them and, and bottoms and so on. Um, so it will always have that purpose um, built into every thread. However, if people decide to wear it to work, as I, to your point, they are more than ever. I do it every single day because people want to be comfortable. They want to look good. And a lot of people are now going to work and then the gym immediately after work as well. Um, I think it's great that people are wearing our product outside of the gym as well. Okay. And it's, it's, it seems like a major trend that you're profiting from. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, during the, we've made some brilliant decisions in building this brand, but equally we've been extremely lucky. And I think this is, this is a huge tailwind to your point in terms of for, on a macro scale, people are wearing fitness wear outside of the gym. So you're right. We've definitely benefited from that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, um, like in, in terms of, 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 um, growth, can you like give us some numbers over the past years? I mean, maybe revenue wise and, and whatever you can, you can share. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Gymshark's grown rapidly. We were, we were the fastest growing business in the UK a few years ago. Uh, a couple of years after that, we were the fastest growing profits. So we're a very profitable business as well, which I'm really proud of, despite the constant reinvestment in the brand. Um, and it feels like an outdated figure saying this now, but because we're in June, but, but last calendar year, um, Gymshark through its website alone sold, um, half a billion us dollars worth of product. So oh, it's, oh. it's been a huge growth curve. It's, and that's basically naught to half a billion us dollars in, in eight years. And, you know, we're halfway through 2021 now and we're seeing even more incredible growth. And, and where is that all coming from? I mean, is it, I mean, the, the, the old, the old pattern that you described, is it still like, there's just so much uh how say that uh wind under your wings that 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 carries you even further and further yeah. or did you like uh, open other um other <laughs> engines and, and other <laughs> ideas uh, is it just like there's so much wind in that field yeah yeah so well when we first started we only sold menswear and it was a very small range we added women's wear we've expanded our range we're expanding into accessories the the original core areas we did the events are our you know our huge areas so the UK is massive for us the US Germany is huge we have incredible support in Germany I always love going to Germany we did we did an event before the pandemic in in Frankfurt um, and it was absolutely brilliant so so thank you guys for all of your support as well um, <laughs> Australia Scandinavia they're, they're the the sort of key markets for us and any corporations with like influencers outside of the fitness field any pop stars rappers that that wear your clothes <laughs> um i've seen people wear them um more out of choice rather than sort of uh, deals with us um but yes like tons of people wear them now and it, it's really cool to see like you say it's it's this whole thing of the gym is now more than the gym like to your point musicians are wearing it uh people are wearing it to and from work it's it's really cool to see But you're not like officially cooperating. You don't have a testimonial. It's not only, uh, not some rapper like going on a tour in 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 Gymshark clothes. No, 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 not not like that. Um, but but to your point, whereas before it was it was the lifters. Now we're working with CrossFitters. We're running with runners. So there's, there's a guy called Heller who we work very closely with. That's just ran the entire length of the United States in Gymshark, and that's mm -hmm. like it's just incredible, right? We work with some amazing people, sort of like gamers and things like that. Anyone that's on a journey mental or physical we we want to help support you on that journey so so but you're reaching out to them and you're providing them with clothes but not with 
but not, not with money. Is that the whole, how yeah, you do so it? it so it varies. So some people will just buy the product because they love it. Some people will get in touch and say, "Hey, do you want to do this?" Some of the athletes that we'll work with will work with on longer term contracts. So yeah, they'll be paid. They'll be on a one, two, three, four year contract. It really varies. Um, it really varies on the individual. Mm -hmm. And uh, where do you think this can go? Well, my my aim is I think this can be the biggest and the greatest fitness wear brand in the world. I really do. I think we've got an incredible community of tens of millions direct um, members of Gymshark community, hundreds of billions if you include the athletes following. I think we can be the greatest fitness community in the world, and I want this to be the brand that really does embody mental and physical development. Um, the gym changed my life, and I would love the gym to continue to change lives around the world. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to be a – five six day a week gym goer you don't have to be a bodybuilder you might go once a month you might go twice a month whatever it is i, I just think that the lessons that we can learn in the gym the difference it can make to you mentally and physically is, is huge and i want to inspire as many people to do that as possible you're following what what's happening to reebok these days i mean adidas is, is selling reebok and i mean from a from a valuation standpoint they must be in your in your neighborhood now uh loosely i don't know i i did hear that they were being sold but i've got no idea what valuation if i'm honest Okay, but I mean, you, you, you've 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 followed the the Reebok story from like yeah, a Reebok's major a, brand. Yeah, it's a it's an old British brand, isn't it? It's um, uh, I saw Adidas bought it, and I know that they were using it to run. It was sort of like the CrossFit and MMA sort of yeah. stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I, other than that, if I'm honest, I, I don't know too much more. Any other direct-to-consumer brands, in, or even in other verticals, other industries that you follow that you think are doing a good job? Ooh, who do I like? Let me think. There's a few cool brands. There's a, there's a brand in the UK which I really like, and it's it's very expensive, but it's really cool. It's conceptual stuff, and it, it's called Volback. So they they do sort of conceptual clothing. Um, mm. It's like fireproof bottoms, stab-proof jackets. It, it's just super super conceptual clothing. A lot of the product is is isn't like it's a bit over the top, but I think it's really interesting to see. Um, I mean, I, I ride motorcycles, so there's cool brands over here, uh, Boda Skins, who sort of do jackets. There's a helmet company called Raw Rock, who look really cool as well. And they're all um, D2C. What was that? Sorry. They're, they're all D2C, but they're all they're like all, they're all, Yeah, they're all direct-to-consumer. Uh-huh. And I mean, like one one typical trait of a direct-to-consumer brand is, is, is collaborating with other brands to share audiences. Is that something that you do, that you like? collaborate with one of these brands for instance or like other you know founders and in, in, in their audiences so i think it's something we would love to do but because we've grown so quickly if i'm honest we haven't done enough of it in the past but yeah you're right i would love to do more collaborations i think it's a really good way of building i mean it feels like at the moment it is a bit of the age of the collaboration you've got uh there's a really cool brand over in new york uh called kith I don't know if you've heard of them who yeah Ronnie Fee. Street. exactly and they're yeah. massively if you're looking at probably setting the benchmark for collaborations i think kith have to be the best in the world right now don't they yeah probably yeah they're doing it with coca-cola and and the new york knicks basketball everything i mean they're It's, across the universe well they're collaborations BMW. yeah exactly they're collaborations you don't expect but they just make sense and i think that's really cool so is there's like if somebody from uh, Mercedes uh, listening, you would do like a Mercedes uh, or like an Audi <laughs> collaboration? I've got no idea. I'm open-minded to anything. But nothing so far? We've we've not done any. Honestly, we've done no collaboration. We did one, saying that, I, I tell a lie, we did one a few years ago with Gold's Gym in in Venice, California, which was really cool. We we learned a lot from it. I, I really enjoyed it. We did an event. We did like a collaborative range. Um 
And that's it, really. But listen, 100% open-minded to more collaborations. I think it's an incredible way to, to learn and to grow. What's, this, what's your perspective on stores? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that stores, if they're done right, can be incredible. I think they can be absolutely brilliant. There's a, there's a few stores here in the UK which are just utterly brilliant. Um, there's, um, there's a few that inspire me. There's, I don't know, have you heard of the Soho House Group? Yeah, yeah. There's sure, one. Sure, in, there's sure. one in Berlin, I think. Yeah. Um, they they're incredible because they're very. I, I could I could pop you into um, Soho House Berlin or Barcelona or London, and they all look quite different, but you'd know that they're all part of the same group. And the the way they approach aesthetic and interior design and service, I think, is incredible. Um, I think they're doing offline incredibly well. There's a um, there's a store in East London called the Bike Shed. So I, mm -hmm. I think I, I've mentioned I'm into my motorcycles. And it's like a, a community hub for anyone that's into motorcycles. And I think that's really, really cool as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I think offline or retail done right and stores done right can be brilliant. But I think th the problem is now is too many people have approached the store mentality from a place of utility. And what, what I mean by that is if you want to go and buy a product, Most people now aren't going to stores because you could just buy that same product online. It will be delivered to you just as quickly and it's way more convenient. So I think you need to offer more than just convenience when it comes to stores. I mean, you recently opened a place called Lifting Club. I mean, when, yes. when I follow you on Instagram, I see that you, it's basically a gym that you've started. And I mean, is that your first step into like offline owned properties? Yeah, so that's really cool, actually. So that is, is the Lifting Club is next door to our office and it's on our sort of campus in the West Midlands here. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's a staff and basically plus one plus two of each staff member. It's a, it's a staff only gym, basically. And you're right, not only is that incredible for the staff and the workforce and their friends and family, but it's a little bit of a test of, okay, so if we were to do something offline, how would it work? And now we've got this internal test that we can use and run every single day. So it, it's sort of a, a dual pronged approach. So we're, we're learning a lot from that. And, and by the way, I, I also think it's probably one of the best, if not the best staff gym in the world. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you're thinking of, 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 you know, opening more of that around the world? I don't know, if I'm honest. We've, we've, we've been running the lifting club for a while. The, the vast majority of its life, it's unfortunately been in lockdown due to COVID. Um, huh. but I'm, again, I'm open-minded to anything with, with things like this. You just recently said that, that data plays an important role for you. Mm -hmm. What exactly is, is data for you? What data do you look at? Uh, I mean, data in, in every, every sense of the word. So we could be looking at web visitors. We put, could be looking at revenue. Um, you know, we could be looking at what products are selling the best. Like, is there more opportunity for different types of products? So if our lifting stringers are doing particularly well, do we need to double down on that? It could be, you know, usage of our conditioning app and fitness app. Are people using it regularly? Are people dropping off? What, what's, you know, what are things like that? Like, it really varies. What's, what's the core or key uh, KPIs um that you look at like every day or every week to to understand the business um so it could be things like stock turn how quickly are we moving through our stock uh you know super basic things revenue um gross margin all these sorts of things it's 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 fairly standard uh, across retail businesses uh lifetime value uh for a community-led brand it's all around community growth How big is the Gymshark community and the wider community? Which channels are growing the most quickly? Which which are engaging at the highest rates? Because 
like following great and everything but if people aren't engaging with you it's it's fairly pointless so engagement's really important to as well as well so 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 every day you check into your instagram app or a tiktok app and look at the the growth numbers interaction numbers yeah i, I check regularly i wouldn't check every day but i would i would sort of have reports sent over to me every so often and i'm always interested to have a look mm -hmm. and i mean uh, talk about a bit like the investment side of the business i mean you 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 started the business by yourself and no external investors and uh, what's the develop what's been the development there yeah no well so the the business was founded by myself and lewis who was the co-founder and we had yeah we had no investment whatsoever after after about I don't know how many years, might have been three years, four years, Lewis ended up leaving the business. Um, and then we recently took investment last year. Lewis sold out his, the rest of, he sold his shares early on. He, he held on to a, a small percentage and he sold out of the, the rest of it last year. Uh, and we brought in our first investment. And, and that was when the, the, the brand was valued at the, the 1.45 billion during that round. So that was our first ever investment. But it was fresh money to grow the business. It wasn't like all a secondary... <clears throat> Uh, no, so the majority of it was uh, essentially for Lewis to move on and focus on different things. And the mm -hmm. the main reason, if I'm honest, which General Atlantic have really bought is brilliant experience. Um, they're globally a, a very large uh, business, so they have great understanding of the North American market, of the um, like the APAC market. So, yeah, they've really helped us build strength in depth in the business as well. And I mean... Obviously, General Atlantic is a, is a big name. They just basically send an email and said, look, we like what you do and let's talk. And then all of a sudden you like that. I mean, no, there must no. have been a lot of people before that. So they did get in touch, funnily enough. Uh, Andrea, who's a guy at uh, General Atlantic, did message me. Unfortunately, and he never lets me forget it, I didn't actually respond. I didn't see the message, which is terrible of me. I feel really bad. Um, but we... we We came to the point where, and I, and I was told this a few years ago, I was told if you're ever going to bring on an investor or raise money or anything like that, then do it when you don't need the money because it means that you're not, it's not about being in a position of power, but it, it gives you flexibility, right? If, if things aren't going well, you don't have to do it. Um, so we thought, right, we don't need it now, but we really have global ambitions. So we essentially started off a process and we, we, we said to uh, a, group of, a group of companies that this is what we're looking to do. And a group of companies came back to us and we started having conversations. And then we, we sort of whittled it down a little bit to a final three companies. And, and then eventually the final one was, was General Atlantic. And the, the reason that we went with General Atlantic were the reasons I just mentioned, their, their global um, you know, outreach, their stretch, their, their competency across the world is just incredible. But the main reason why we went with General Atlantic is because culturally they completely understood the Gymshark brand. Um, they're absolutely brilliant to work with. I, I couldn't recommend them enough. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, all these years before they, they stepped in, how did you finance the business? I mean, it's like one of those typical problems that you have, especially in, in, in commerce or in, 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 you know, once you produce your own stuff, you always have to, to, to pre-finance a new production, a new series of products. Um, Did the bank did do that or like how did that work? No, no. So it was all organic. So I saved at Pizza Hut. Um, I saved up the money for uh, to run the business. I saved and saved and saved. We we built a profitable model and we just allowed it to snowball and snowball over over the years to come. So we Absolutely. never we never took borrowing. We didn't do anything like that. And the reason that we could do that is because we built a sustainable, profitable model. 
And the, what makes the model so profitable is this, that there's no middleman. I mean, so you're, so you're yeah, selling Yeah, exactly that. You remove the layer. You'll often find that when people sell into retailers, they'll sell into the retailers and the retailers will essentially double double their money on the product. Because we didn't have that, it meant that we could sell the highest quality of product at a cheaper uh, price than some of our larger competitors whilst also remaining profitable and, and high in growth. And, and, and of all these years, you've become a... Your own brand yourself. I mean, Ben Francis. I think there's there's thousands of hundreds of thousands of people across the world that know you. Mm -hmm. um, what, what role uh, did that play? So I I was always I didn't really want to be on social media personally. I, I love making things and I love my role at Gymshark. Mm -hmm. And we did a world tour and I was in Dublin of all places. And there was a lad that came up to me. And he he was writing a an essay for university on the Gymshark story and the growth of the brand. And he said to me, will you do a video that talks about how you started Gymshark? And, mm -hmm. and that's it. Cause I, I just need it for my, my thing. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I will do this video. I'm going to do the video. Cause I, I get, I, I would get it asked all the time. Everyone would say, how did the company start? I would love to know the story. So I said, right, I'm going to record this video and I'm going to do it. My, my, my fiance helped me with it. Um, she was my girlfriend at the time. She recorded it. She's on YouTube. She helped me edit it, everything. Um, And yeah, I recorded this one video and I put it on YouTube and it, it just blew up. It got two plus million views, I think. And to be honest, ever since then, I've continued posting. I post on Instagram. I post on YouTube. I I try and tell the story as best I can. I, I, I The reason that I double down on it now is because I always think I would have loved to have been able to see the vlogs of someone running a billion dollar brand when I was younger. So I think I'm trying to do that to give to the next generation and I, I've been fortunate to have conversations with people that have watched my videos and followed me on the social channels that have, you know, either not made mistakes in their business or been able to grow more quickly and help inspire those. And, and to me, that's really, really fulfilling. And it's something that's really important to me that I can hopefully try and inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs and, and just give someone a real transparent view in what life is like founding and running a, a billion dollar business. And it gives you a brand an unfair advantage because the Adidas CEO or the Reebok uh, CEO don't do that. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't. And I, I'm going to be honest, I've never understood why. I, I think, I mean, maybe it's different because I sort of founded the brand and I've been there throughout and I'm massively emotionally involved. But I just think it's so cool. And I, thought, I mean, I, I'm interested in what you think, Philip, as well. I think it's fascinating to be able to see the inside of these these businesses. And I just want to mm -hmm. be able to give that to others. Absolutely, absolutely, and I mean, you see it from like from the the, the most valuable companies in the world. I mean, Elon Musk uh, shows the way, right? I mean, mm. the, he, you follow him? Yeah, yeah, I follow him. He's on Twitter and he's mental. But <laughs> yeah. it's it's cool, isn't it? It, it makes you realize they're they're normal people. They're normal people that just work incredibly hard, and I think it's uh, because it's fascinating. Know. <laughs> it's fascinating. Okay. Oh yeah, maybe not Elon. Maybe he's not normal. But <laughs> but, but but regardless, like I mean, we built our. Uh, we built our office and I recorded the whole thing. We built the gym. I recorded the whole thing. I've talked about the the athletes, the events. And I think it's just cool that people could, there might be someone that's got a business out there that wants to make an office and they don't know really how to do it or how to approach it. And hopefully by watching my video, they might learn one or two things. I think that's cool. I'm, I'm also very transparent about everything from shareholding structures and all these things. And again, it's because no one else talks about it. So And, it, you know, it's not going to do any harm. It doesn't make a difference to me if if you know the shareholding or not. It's I just think it's interesting and, and hopefully it can help help other people in running their business. How many shares do you hold? I mean, how, how many percent of the company? So now I hold just over 70 percent. 
Okay. Okay. Um, and then did that give you access to other circles? I mean, now that, I mean, you're like a visible person now, but also like a, a substantial net worth. Uh, what was the most noticeable uh, developments there? I mean, who approached you? What changed your life there? Um, so the vast majority of people that follow my channel are young people that are looking to start their own business. Um, so that's been really cool because it's given me, it's actually given me opportunities to meet a lot of these small businesses. And I found that fascinating. And what I think what people don't realize is for me to spend time with someone that's building their own business, I learn as much from them as they do from me. Hmm. So I've been able to, again, turbocharge my, um, my, my learning by spending time with these people. And, uh, you know, I think as well, it helps people feel more connected with the brand. Um, so I think people buy into the brand a little bit more on the story because they can literally see it unfold in front of their very eyes. And I just think like, if you go back to, um, you know, some incredible, like one of the best sportswear brands we talk, we've talked about Adidas, how cool would it have been if we could go back and watch videos of the founders building the business in the early days. And I know it wasn't possible because of how old the business is, but you know, these videos last forever and people can watch them forever. And, you know, hopefully when Gymshark is one of the greatest brands and communities in the world, people will look back at these videos as, as to how it was built and the decisions that we made and the mistakes that we made, made as well and, and be inspired by it. I mean, if you look at the valuation right now, you just mentioned it at one point, like maybe it's growing a little bit. When was the financing rate for 2020, right? Yeah, so it was about a year ago. So a year ago, we were at 1.45 billion US dollars. So let's so. say, you're, if, if I mean, rapid growth, maybe you're at, at, at 2 billion now. Um, so that's only like... 5x away from where Puma is today mm -hmm. on the stock market. Exactly. Market cap. Do you look at, for instance, what the on guys do with the on this, the, the 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 tennis and 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 jogging, jogging shoes from Switzerland? Uh, no, so I've never actually used them. I've heard of them, and I think what they're doing is cool. Um, but if I'm honest, I'm, I don't know. But I think I think the design of the product is it's it's cool. And, and for your own brand building, which channel there is? Is this LinkedIn play a role for you? So, so it does, but not in terms of sort of front end, uh, product. So it's great for recruitment and, and for me, for personal branding as a, as a business owner, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Um, if you said to me, yeah, I think you asked earlier about social networks and which one would you lose from a personal perspective, YouTube would be number one, but LinkedIn would be a very, very close number two. To me, I'd actually say LinkedIn in many respects is more important than Instagram. Seriously. It's absolutely brilliant. I think it's a brilliant social network. And it's, it's, you get incredible reach on LinkedIn. It's really surprising and you can grow very, very quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Any other networks or media outlets that you've been play, uh, that you, that you've been present in? I mean, did you do TV a lot? Uh, no, not really. Not too much around TV. Personally, for me, it's YouTube is number one. I think YouTube is, is, is just brilliant. Um, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, that's where I'll spend my time, and 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 as a company, we haven't done too much on TV, just because, I you know I think we're just growing quickly. We just haven't got around to it. I think we will at some point, but but just not yet. Do you do sponsorings? I mean, sports. Do you do you sponsor athletes or, or, or teams or anything? Yeah, yeah, we do. So we work not teams, but we work with individuals. So you've got um, a lady called Katie Taylor, who's one of the best uh, boxers uh, of all time. She's absolutely incredible. We work we work very closely with her. Uh, you've got Ryan Garcia, who's uh, an American athlete based out in California. Again, an incredible, incredible boxer. Um, and then we work with athletes in the sense of YouTube fitness stars and, and people like that as well. But you wouldn't go into like regular... As in sports athletes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, other, like, than, like... other than the boxers, no, we, we haven't yet. Uh, why boxing? 
Uh, because we, so we, we've made a sort of conscious effort to, to look into combat sports. It's been something that's been very close to the brand. We've worked with brilliant combat uh, sports people before, Darren Till in, in, in mixed martial arts. Um, so yeah, it, it's just something that's very close to the brand because the way that they train is actually very similar in many ways to powerlifters and bodybuilders. Hmm. Okay. Do a lot of, uh, you know, classic traditional brands approach you and ask you about how they can transform their company, their business into a D2C um, business? Not in our space, but other brands do. So I don't know, some that, that might not be un, uh, related to us and, and a lot of smaller brands as well. will sort of get in touch and, and ask a few questions as well. And what is what is your like one two three advice to them? I mean, is there anything that repeats or that that comes back all the time? Um, it really varies, but like I said, for me, it's about having a real good understanding of the customer and the community. I think that's mm -hmm. massive, and I think we've been we've been blessed in many ways because I I always have been the customer in the community. Like even now, I'll go on the Gymshark website and I'll buy the stuff because I love it. Um, even if I didn't work at Gymshark, I would buy Gymshark. I would follow Gymshark because it, it inspires me seeing the stories of the individuals and the people and the groups on the on the social channels. Um, so that would be the main thing, just a thorough and deep understanding of the customer and the community. And again, we've been lucky because it's because I am it and a lot of the people that work at Gymshark are the community. One thing I hear a lot is, is you have to be really responsive. I mean, so, so if people like write to you on Instagram or write to you on LinkedIn, like there's this Gary Vaynerchuk myth that you have to respond and try to like, you know respond to everybody and then mm. spend hours in a day like responding to social media messages and in posts do you do that i i get lots of messages probably not as many as gary i can't imagine how many messages gary gets um i respond to as many as i can within reason but i do work all hours of the day as well so um i definitely don't respond to all of them But, and you don't see it as part of your work. I mean, in some cases, I, I look at D2C creators here in Germany and they see it as part of their work life to spend like four hours of a working day to basically interact with the community. That's interesting. So I know I do it after work. I'll do it just like after work when I'm chilling out, just, just more because I'm interested. I find it fun. I do it okay. in the gym and things like that. But yeah. Um, you, you just talked about like inspiring the next generation. What, what's your number one? takeaway that you want to like pass on so that for me this is the, the most important thing for the next generation is whilst you're young i think you need to just try things um don't fall for some sort of illusion that gymshark just sort of happened out of nowhere it was the result of it was these six failures beforehand um the likelihood of anyone starting anything and the first thing succeeding or even the second thing or the third thing succeeding is extremely extremely low you have to be prepared to fail and you have to be prepared to try new things and i think those that can fail and come back with enthusiasm and excitement and go again you know because they're truly passionate i think those are the ones that succeed and, and can you expect imagine expanding into other areas i mean now you're doing clothing i mean it feels like you have this community and there's you can do more with that Yeah, listen, we'll definitely be expanding into other areas and, and, and a more broader approach to fitness. Um, but those plans are sort of currently in, in, in progress at the moment. Um, uh, last question. Um, I mean, you, you, you're you making um, quite a lot of money. Are you also like investing some of that money back as an investor into other companies? Uh, so I've not done any of that yet. Um, I'm definitely open-minded to it, um, but I've not done it yet. But it's something that I'm definitely going to be looking at in the next year or two. 
And is, is there other entrepreneurs that inspire you? I mean, you look at like a Phil Knight who founded Nike mm. or like uh, people like that? Yeah, I think he's massively inspiring. Um, yeah, I'm inspired by, you know, the people that you'll know about, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk. I mean, I'm inspired by my parents, by my grandparents. Um, yeah, I, to be honest, I'm inspired by the people that I work with, the Gymshark athletes. Um, I, I really try and learn something new from every single person that I meet. Um, and again, I, I can take little bits of inspiration as well from everyone that I meet too. Okay. Okay. Ben, thank you very much for doing this. Oh, thank you. This has been amazing. It's been really cool <laughs> to chat. You need to come, and, you need to come and visit Gymshark HQ at some point. You need to come and fly up. Yeah. That's in Birmingham, right? Exactly. Yeah. And do you, you, you plan on staying in Birmingham? I mean, is, is Birmingham a good place for that? Yes. Yeah. I love it. It's absolutely brilliant. It's where I grew up and it's absolutely brilliant. Um, Yeah, we're going to be, yeah, we'll be doing more events in Germany as well um, as soon as we can, COVID permitting. So hopefully I'll be able to see you guys in Germany too. Yeah, yeah. And you've never, never been thinking about moving to London or anything? Uh, listen, I think London is an incredible city and I absolutely love it. But I, I was born and bred in the West Midlands. Gymsharks HQ is in the West Midlands. So I'm going to be spending the majority of my time in the West Midlands for the foreseeable future. Okay. Do you care about football? I soccer? do. I had a season ticket at Aston Villa. I don't know if you know the club. I'm a yeah. huge Villa fan and I have been my entire life. Who, who do you support? In, in Germany or in England? I mean, Both. In, England, in, in, in Germany, it's Schalke. Um, yeah. And in England, I look for the you know teams that have Germans on the squad. Right now, Liverpool with Jurgen Klopp and yeah. um, Chelsea with the German guys um, yeah. on the team. Um But I mean, I was uh, the reason I'm asking is because you know, there's you know, like with you and your like hometown emotions, mm -hmm. it feels like at some point you're going to invest into Aston Villa and Ooh. become an Aston Villa's. Like, I feel, like, listen, I would love that, but it feels like you're paying a lot of money for a very big headache. Yeah, <laughs> who, who owns Aston Villa? Oh, I can't remember who owns it. They're, they're very good owners, though. We've got some brilliant owners at the moment that the fans absolutely love them, they're investing It's in the club so. So, so no, no oligarchs, no. Uh, It's uh, I, I, I can't remember their names. If I'm honest, they're they're very very but, wealthy. But English people? No, 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 they're not English. Um, I can't remember where they're from, but they're very very. They're, they're doing a great job, so I, everyone's very happy. All right. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much, Ben. Thank you for having me. It was great to chat. All right. All right. Take care. Cheers. Enjoy your day. Speak soon. Bye bye.